Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Paula Price Show, where you can experience scripturally organic, culturally unmodified teaching, get answers to your questions, and receive powerful prayer from your host, Dr. Paula Price, author of the Prophet's Dictionary. Tune in now and get ready for an exciting time of encouragement and transformation. Welcome your host, Dr. Paula Price. Well, I welcome you all. I welcome you all, and I thank God for you. I'm glad you came. I'm glad to be back. I missed you, but I have been following this on the road, and it's been amazing. Last week's profit show, my, 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 I was like a really proud mama, if I could say that, okay? Proud mama. Watching my prophets, Prophet Adia and the well, Prophet Adia, Prophet Tamira, and then Prophet in Training, Mark, and they just ran the show and, and, and exhibited, I would say, exhibited the prophetic education that we have had. And then the night before, there was Chief Prophet Tala and the Assistant Chief Prophet, soon to be Apostle Ashley Taylor, and you all was, I said, well, Lord, I'm just excited about what God is doing. And I'm excited because he's so testifying of the work that I've done and the work that I want to do for him in his name. So right now I'm in the midst of writing out a couple of classes. We're launching the Prophetic Ed Program. Did you know that, Prophet Ashley, that we're launching the Prophetic Ed Program under Price University School of the Prophets? We're launching the program. So you all would love this. And judging by some of the comments that I heard last week, I think many of you would be there and calling in or going to the school's website, priceuniversity.org, and saying, I want to get more information on prophetic ed. Now, why do you want that? Many of you remember I started this whole thing with prophetic ed on Thursday night, which happened to have been probably my largest viewership night. And we started discussing the prophetic not from how it's been, but from how it's becoming. The prophetic has got to be geared up for God's future. Many of the prophetic training programs that we've had an opportunity to to explore have been effective in sustaining the now, maybe equipping people for the now, but there must be a reconciliation of the conflict between the traditional popular now and God's future. One of the things I want to say to you today is that the prophetic is never for humans. The prophetic is for God, the sovereign of creation, the monarch of creation, Jesus Christ, whose testimony is the spirit of prophecy, wants to move forward in his plans for humanity. Tell everybody, we're going to find out what this is all about. So Jesus whose testimony, I'm going to keep saying that because, first of all, we quote it wrong. 
we quote it wrong because somebody decided to edit it and make a slang, cookie sliver out of it or something. And we say Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. But the script actually says the testimony. See, that's why you all keep writing Jesus out because you don't realize that he, we, when we say Jesus is the spirit of prophecy, we give the impression that he's the tool, the, in, the impetus, the resource, etc. We don't realize that his life, and everything about his existence constitutes the spirit of prophecy. Ooh, am I getting excited? I'm getting excited. So the testimony of Jesus Christ is the spirit of prophecy. Read your Bible, and you will see that. Not just Jesus himself. Jesus is the word of God, the logos of God. So the, the, the logos is testimony is the spirit of prophecy. Hmm. How many prophecies we hear that negate Jesus' experience? Because the testimony is a witness, and it's a witness to what someone else has experienced, achieved, accomplished, established. It's big. Because people, you know why I'm going this direction, and I'm only going to park here for just a moment, I believe, you know. Uh, Jesus has his way. We might be here until. But the reason I say this is because you all are always asking how to discern true from false prophecy, how to know if a prophecy can be trusted, how to know if a prophet or prophesier can be trusted. That question goes around all the time. Well, how do we know? The first marker of a true prophet of Jesus Christ is the testimony of his life, of his existence being woven throughout the words that are given. That's the first thing you want to know because prophets are the first witness of what Christ does and did. Remember, Abel was the first prophet. So that makes the office of the prophet not only prototypical, but it also makes it very antiquitous. That means it goes back to the beginning of foundation, the foundation of the world at the beginning with the first family and the first church and the first worship and the first. That's why prophets have been used all the way up to Jesus Christ. You know, many times we forget Jesus came as the great prophet to come. It took Paul to tell us in the book of Hebrews that he actually was and is the high priest of our profession, talking about the apostles' profession. Oh, wait, hold on. Oh. Ha ha, I'm back. <laughs> I like this. So, when you ask about prophecy, you have to recognize that according to Revelation, Jesus Christ, his entire experience, Precarnate, incarnate, eternal, and everlasting is the spirit of prophecy, which means prophecy that should be inspired by his existence. Prophecy should be inspired by his experiences, his word, his will, his creatorship, his messiahship, and we can go on. And the problem is that the church got off course because somebody woke up and said, why is it all about Jesus? Well, who would you like it to be about? 
I just want to know. Because if it's about humanity, well, they miss God and fail. So I don't know if it should be all about humanity. I don't know if it should be all about human issues. And we definitely, who stand for the Lord Jesus Christ, don't feel it should all be about devils. So if prophecy should not be all about Jesus, then my question to you is, who should it be about? Or who? We can go, we can go correct. I can do that now and again. Because there is nothing in creation more important to God Almighty than the second person of the Godhead who is his son. Jesus is the single most important thing in the creation. And I don't mean just the creation of this world. I mean in all of those billions of galaxies that are light years away and eons old. Nothing matters more to God Almighty, creator God, than the first begotten son. And Christians need to understand that that is the, the heart, that's the linchpin of our superlativeness, that we were in Christ before the foundation of the world. People are asking, and you know, we're going to have it, guys. We need to give up because they have so they have so culturized us or so encultured us. You know, I found that word out yesterday. I was so excited. I said, oh, my gosh, I'm, you know, I'm writing another manual. So they, I found the word encultured, E-N-C-U-L-T-U-R-E-D. They have encultured Christianity, which is why God gave me the message and the mandate of spiritually organic, culturally unmodified Christianity. Because... When God first started dealing with humanity and his creation on earth, company, family, he did not have cultures to deal with. There were no cultures. There was an adversary, there was an advocate, and there was an Abel who was a prophet that mediated and spoke to God in the name of the people and spoke to the people in the name of God. And he didn't just speak. That's why he had to die, because his brother had a problem with the worship system that God raise Abel up to officiate. See, these are nuances that determine your strength, that determine your power, that, that feed and breed your confidence. You need that. You need the knowledge of God's past to appreciate your present and to delight in pursuing the course of your future. If you don't know what God has done, you don't know what he's doing. And if you don't know what he's doing, you can't prepare yourself for what he's about to do. We need to know that. So when you think of prophecy and you think of, of scripture, you think of all, all that we have today, the problem that we have with prophets today is that they were raised up under the Balaam model. See, the, that Balaamic prophet, that is their, that's what we hear. Their gift is the institution as far as they're concerned. And it's their variant of the institution that they decided to adapt to their preferences. But if you're going to be a prophet for the Lord God Almighty in the future, you're going to have to study and assimilate the testimony of Jesus Christ. Because God's first witness 
after Adam's fall was a prophet. I don't know about you, Prophet Ashley, but I just think that is so good. I'm sitting here now. This thing is just, you know, cocktailing in me. You know, I'm excited because I I am so disturbed by all of the prophets who are jumping out of the prophet's office because they think the apostle gives them greater prestige and dignity. But we only go back to the cross. They go back to the garden. See, the prophets go back to right outside the garden. We don't really catch up with this apostle thing until we get to Moses. So as you, as you, some of you all have, you know, you're working at just, you know, everybody running around telling you you're an apostle because you started something. That's wrong. That is wrong. I'm sorry. That is wrong. Now I realize that, you know, I people wonder how can I be so sure and how in this, I, you know, I'm, I'm too strong for the average Christian, too strong for the typical church. I don't know what to tell you. I am what I am, like Paul. I am what I am by the grace of God, and no one's for everyone. But I know I'm from for a lot of someone. And, and my message and my communications, the wisdom and the intelligence that God gave me is for the someone who want to make something happen, not just using Jesus' name or title, but in the name of his cause. Jesus has a cause, and the cause he got from his father. His father sent him to bring back the souls from darkness into his life. Every apostle talks about God's aim of pulling humanity out of the world's darkness, out of Satan's darkness, and into God's marvelous light. And that light is not just illumination. It is not just illumination. It is literally the entire content and constitution of the Godhead. For God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. But you don't know that. And the funny thing about defending Christ, when God find somebody who will defend him, he heaps up his glory. He heaps up his courage. He heaps up his power because God can't get a thing done with a coward. He just can't. He can love them. They can love him, sing songs to him, worship him. But when God has to go to battle with his adversary, he has got to get people who are more than just verbal advocates. He's got to get warriors. He's got to get martial artists. We have got to go and do it every time. God wants to bring back the world to him. Every time he has to recover what humanity loses in generations or over generations, he starts with his prophets. He then moves in his apostles. And after that, he brings his army. And he does none of it before he establishes his own civilization in the planet. God literally detaches from heaven's realm to earth's realm an embassy of eternal citizens to back what he's doing on earth to make sure humanity is not wiped out, the earth is not destroyed before its time, and that his covenants and his beloved are protected and defended when the generations before them sell out. He has to do it. You can read it from Genesis to Revelation. 
definitely from the Exodus onward. When you read Exodus 12, 12, we read about the ten plagues and, and wow, how it just came against Egypt. But the, but the scripture actually says the ten plagues were to come against the gods of Egypt. He said, and against all the gods of Egypt, he said, I will render my judgment. Those plagues were to deal with the gods of Egypt. Unfortunately, those gods were in the people. So God, was, he wasn't just bullying this poor little, this poor little country. I mean, after all, they're only human and they're only mortals. No, that is not what God was doing at all. God was doing in Egypt what he had already done with the flood. And you will see that pattern throughout Scripture. The flood was not about just the people, the flesh that could not, could not defend themselves against this big bully God. The flood was about getting those demons out of the people that they had procreated them. So whenever there is an overrun of demonic and devilish power, because the earth was given to the sons of men, and so when humans buy into the lies and the deceptions and, and begin to allow themselves to feel as if they are equal to the darkness and that they can overthrow it, then they, that deception causes them to host devils. Then God has to come in because the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world, and they that dwell therein. And God gave the world, the earth and the world systems to humanity, to flesh, not fallen angels. That's part of the testimony of Jesus Christ. That is why Jesus can come to the planet and say, I saw Satan fall as lightning from heaven. And you almost want to say, well, yeah, that, he's saying that after, no, he hasn't, he hasn't even gotten good. He's just, he's just about to leave the planet. He's telling the 70 that he sent out in his name. Uh, the reason you won, the reason devils are subject to you in my name is because I saw Satan fall as, him, as, as lightning from heaven. Michael and his angels threw him out. This, this goes a little deeper. See, you have to know the testimony of Jesus Christ. That's why they want you out the Bible, because the power is in the testimony of Jesus Christ. It is, you shall receive power after that the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me. All of this thing that we've done for this whole prophetic institution that has dominated the scene for so long has been about the culture, crafted church, and charismata, not about the testimony of Jesus Christ. And it's not just the prophets or apostles that are obligated to it, but the entire threefold and fivefold. We've heard so much about the fivefold, we've not talked about the threefold. Just keep listening in. We'll get there. So the more you read your Bible, the more Jesus' experience and testimony makes sense to you. But it also will write itself, code itself in your soul so that your soul can issue those truths to your mind, then passes it on to your brain. 
this is a real sophisticated system because we have the church has made so many things spiritual kind of empty. You know, they kind of hollowed out the power of the spirit. Hollowed it out. We're just going to hollow it out. So we've got it, the God thing in our, in our souls. We've got it, the God power in our message. So we have an appearance of power, a form of godliness that's defi- that, what, denying the power because the church by its humanist and demonic theology have gutted the power of God's word. So now it's just print on a wallpaper. It's just print on a cup, on a glass. No power. You don't look at those, those scriptures that are on your cup and expect power to come out of that to you. All you want is to just be reminded, you know, have a little piece of a memory. When God has to pull back the lamb, it's only because he's sending the lion out to walk to war. And the lamb, meaning our church, our pastoral churches, is being pulled back. That's part of the hard reset that I've been talking about. The lamb is getting ready to take a back seat to the lion of Judah. That's what we are headed toward. See, people have talked about Christians, you know, we're dumb, we're um, outdated, we're weak, we're all of those fluffy. We've talked about, that's the lamb. See, the lamb is the fluffy. And he was still, was not a lamb, it's a ram. We think of it as a U, E-W-E, but it's a, it's a ram. And the ram is the, is the warrior. But it was a, a baby ram, so the horns aren't grown, you know, they can't take on a good battle. But the lion is full grown. And the lion is what supports my statement that Jesus has been a sovereign longer than he's been a savior. And the saviorship is the last piece of his entire testimonial life experience. So the, the world is not ready for the lion to step forward. Part of what people have, the problem that people, and I'm talking about people now, we'll get to devils in a minute, but the problem that people have with, this, with our president is that he's a lion. And we want a lamb. Because you can do what you want to do with a lion, but a lion is going to protect their territory. So he is literally reflecting the, the lion or the leonic atmosphere that's getting ready to take over the planet. Hard reset. Hard reset. And it's going to be hard on a lot of folks because it's been hard now. For all of the bullying that the devils and, and liberals and, and, and whatnot have been doing to us, all we did make three major steps, and they all like fussing and crying. Now, we have lived almost a decade, maybe a decade and a half, with slight interruption, with everything Christ being assaulted, bound up, gagged, etc. And now the lion is rising up, the lion of Judah, the same lion that took the planet from the beginning, the same lion that walked his people out of Egyptian bondage. It's the same lion, and it's the same lion that, that says, I'm the king. God himself has given creation to his first begotten son. We get a piece of it because we were in him before the foundation of the world and after his Calvary passion, let's be God, we were reinstalled in him 
full-grown being as opposed to seed. So Christianity, they talk about, you know, and I love this, you know, my daughter and I have these wonderful conversations. It's really great when you have two prophets in your house. Man, oh, man, it's just, it gets special. And then you have the five that visit. It's real hot. But the, the thing that, that people are, are talking about, Christianity, the, it's, it's um, what do you call it? It's conquest. It's obsolescence. It's archaism. All of that is because they're talking about the pastors in the churches. They're not talking about us. They're not talking about the ables that have persevered down through the ages. They're not talking about the apostles that changed the world from polytheism to monotheism. They're not talking about us. And I need you all, because I know you all read that stuff and you get all excited and and you get all, wow, what is God going to do? God has done what he's going to do. And we are what he's doing. We are. We're not... We're not trying to sit up in church and have wonderful times, and we're not trying to sit up in church to know God and lose his stuff and plunder his goods so that our needs are met. That is not what we do. We are the guardians of the kingdom. We are the martial warriors of the kingdom. We're the stratospheric warriors, and we are the ones by the spirit that's in us. It's not even that we, we, we ran to it. You know, most of us are like Gideons. We don't know why. Why even you? Because you know, we don't have a clue. You know, Gideon's like, I'm scared. I'm real scared. And God said, be strong. And so we are, we are not trying to, but, the, but, you know, the Bible talks about the spirit that worketh in us. And the spirit that God gave us is predisposed to protecting him, defending his kingdom, and facing off with the darkness that would overrun his land. So we aren't going anywhere. This whole milk-toast Christianity that has made peace with the world, that's not us. That's not us. Mm-mm. We're not that one. That's like the, somebody who's been, who's been rented a, a, a house or a property for so long, they think it's theirs. So they start treating everybody else who comes involved, comes involved with them as if they are the owners, and they make up the rules. And then suddenly the owner comes and put everybody out. Because the owner is still the owner. And Jesus Christ is the owner. The earth is the Lord. Hallelujah. And the fullness thereof. And they that dwell therein. Where are we today? We need a hard reset. Well, I'm not even asking for it. It's happening. I'm telling you, it's happening. I can hear the cracking of those institutions in the spirit. I can see it. I see their pillars falling like the Colosseums. I see the, the, the shaking of the ground so that all that they built begins to fall through the earth. This is done. It is not going to be done. It is going to be seen. And you need to know, in God's realm and in God's parlance, what is done and what is seen are two different things. Because the doneness comes from God displacing the, the godless spirits that have established it. So when the spiritual power is gone, mortality proves itself to be what it is, and it collapses. This is knowing the operations of God's hand. This is good. This is really good. So 
I don't care what the media says. I don't care what anything says. What you've got to do is get to the upper room and the back rooms and the deep rooms where the real truth is told, where the clipboard has come down from heaven and says, this is it. I'm putting an end to this now. That's the one. See, it's God's clipboard, performance of those assignments and tasks that are making this over. I promise you, it is over. That is why Christians are coming up out of nowhere, because they are no longer being uh, stationed and confined to the pews in the local church or in the church at all. They are putting on their lion gear. They are coming out with a roar that is scary. We, God said to me a long time ago, and he's been repeating that statement to me since then, most recently, and he said, the best thing I did for earth was to, was to compel my Christians or my children to stay in land mode, because in land mode, we didn't fight back. In land mode, we sang songs. In land mode, we prayed. In land mode, we, we negotiated, we reconciled, we conciliated. In land mode, lion, not so. And I promise you, and I don't have to meet them, although I think they will, but I promise you, we're going to meet the lion Christian, the Christian that is the lion of Judah. We're going to meet those that are assigned to taking this back for the Lord. The lion is the one that says the kingdom of heaven suffers violence, and the violent take it by force. We have skipped over that because we were in our lamb mentality. We had our lamb consciousness on. I had my lamb helmet on. I had, you know, we put on the whole armor of God, but it was the lamb version. It wasn't the lion version. Because you see, you don't put a helmet on a lion. The lion doesn't need a breastplate because first of all, can you keep him still up to dress him like that? So when you hear people talk about, you know, because right now we have gotten to a point where people say they turn up their nose, it's snide, it's sarcastic and whatnot. And we who are sitting in the church saying, well, you know, we don't want to upset the devil. Uh, we don't want to upset the world. We don't want the unsaved crying. We don't want the No, we want them out of our seats. And that, I promise you, the Lord Jesus Christ is going to do. He's going to get all of his issues out of his seats, out of his seats of authority. And he's going to put his people, the lion side, the leonic side of his people, in power. Because we have all of these things. Yeah, but you know, you know uh, I mean, but the church was mean. Meaner than what? Meaning in the whole era that was out there, and we sit down and say, yeah, we were so mean. We hurt people. So did everybody. It was a mean era. Everybody was mean. Everybody was vicious. Everybody was grisly. Everybody had been like that since the, the, since the Garden of Eden, and it was Jesus Christ, the Prince of Peace, that brought peace to the world because every part of the country was it? Where do you think these movies are coming from? Where do you think the Avengers things are coming from? Where do you think all of these period pieces are coming from? They're not just about the church. Every area was, was wicked. And we're sitting there taking, we keep taking responsibility for what, for what devils did. I didn't do that. Don't, don't put that on me. I didn't do it. But I will defend my, my Savior because our job is to defend our church. Are you all following me? Is this working for you all? Because 
you know, my, my word is identity is the key to your destiny. And if you don't know why we're great, then you'll let us be destroyed because you couldn't tell anybody what made Christianity the greatest faith in the world. What keeps it on top? Why are they copying us? Why are they trying to infiltrate us? Obviously, they found out what we did were never told, that we are the ones, and we'd be bad. So God kept us for years, decades, centuries, as the lamb. We, were, we worked to make peace, and we did all of our battles in the spirit realm, if we did any, because most of us were told that the battle is over and Jesus paid it all, and we don't have to do anything else but coast on his success and capitalize off his victory. And we did that, and for a season, that was right. But the problem is, in, in our, our, our peacetime, you know, I like to call it, uh, in our Solomon, Solomon era, as opposed to our David era, in our Solomon time, it was too good. It got so good, we got cushy, we got flabby, we got shabby. And then we started forgetting how we became the greatest there is. And, and, and the moment you forget your origins, you're doomed to be destroyed. The celebration of how you got here, the celebration of what made you who you are, the celebration of what made you great has got to be commemorated and it has to be reenacted and symbolized constantly, constantly. Because the generations to come were not in the battle. They were not in the suffering. They were not in the sorrow. They're only in the harvest. And because the generation that inherits the conquest, the fruit of our conquest, the fruit of our triumphs and victories, because they were not in the battle, they only know abundance. They only know what they live. They only know reaping. They don't know sowing. They don't know a thing about sowing in tears. We sowed in tears. They are reaping in joy. We sowed in sorrow, but they're reaping in pleasure. All they know our pleasures. And the enemy knows that. He knows if he clocks off three generations when he can get that third or fourth generation to be utterly disinterested in how the pleasures were attained. But consumed, get them consumed with their enjoyment and their right and their unearning and really undeserved abundance and affluence. He does that. But the testimony of Jesus Christ has to be repeated. We're like, well, we're just tired of hearing about the cross. If you're tired of hearing about the cross, you're tired of being saved. Well, we're tired of hearing that story. That's because you are a spoiled, indulgent, disconnected heir of something that somebody gave their life for. So whenever that happens, God raises up prophets and apostles to remind people, to revive his story. We want to revive people. God's not interested in reviving people. He's interested in reviving his testimony. He's interested in reviving the word of God. He's reviving his son's experience. He's reviving Yahweh's sufferings, etc., so that people can remember that he should kill us. But he chose 
to keep us alive. He should starve us, but he chose to feed us. He should dehydrate us, but he chose to nourish us and refresh us. He should isolate us. He should alienate us from himself, but he chose to be long-suffering. That is the testimony of Jesus Christ. This planet and its inhabitants have never done its creator all that good, certainly not good enough to be continued, but God has a hope. He's the God of all hope, and the hope is that there's a generation to come that will praise the Lord. There's a generation to come that will appreciate his goodness, his grace, and his generosity. That there's a generation to come who will stand up for righteousness and stand up for godliness and chase holiness because they know that profanity and defilement are their destruction. There's a generation to come who will appreciate his wisdom and become a witness to the work that he's done and the wisdom of sanctification. See, God lives in hope. And we're so busy telling him our hopes, we don't recognize that he's the God of our hope because hope originated with him. God has a hope. That's why he can give you a hope. Because if God goes hopeless, we're done. Because he'll stop fighting for us. And he'll stop standing for us. And he'll stop pushing off the darkness for us. He'll even stop reproducing. So we don't need God to go hopeless. We need to celebrate him as the God of all hope. I'm so excited about what God is doing right now. This hard reset is thrilling me because a hard reset means that God is putting the the lamb behind the lion, and the lion is going to do more than roar. The lion will, with its pride, which the church is his pride, take back the kingdom and put his son's work at the top. We, we forget that the Bible said Jesus is a man of war. We've been so caught up in the shepherd and in the lamb that we forgot that he's the man of war. God is a warrior. And he better be if he's going to stay on top. Because, you know, if he God subscribed to our theology and our doctrines, he would have long since lost this thing. But he knows. Flesh is as grass. The flower fades. And I want you to recognize that if we're going to stand for the Lord Jesus Christ, if we're going to work out in his work in his prophecies, we need to become well-versed in the testimony of Jesus Christ to assure the spirit of our prophecies are his and not Satan. So you have that humanist spirit of prophecy. You know, you're going to get a man, you're going to get a wife, you're going to have children, you're going to get a car, God's going to give you a blessing, you're going to get a breakthrough. It's not God's will that so-and-so dies. It's not God. Then why did, how did they get past God? Just because it's not God's ideal will doesn't mean that it's not his will. God always has the alternative, the flip side of everything. So if a person doesn't want to live, then he lets them die because that's what they were going to do anyway, just accelerate it. He allows some spirit to accelerate that death. If it's their time to go, then he's going to do it. But the idea that God is out of control, the Lord Jesus is not God, and he can't control. Are you kidding me? 
you have, you've got to recognize, saints of God, the reason you're a Christian is because God's in control. The reason you're a Christian is because God's in control. The reason you're a Christian is because God's in control. Because if God was not in control, there would have been no Christ for you to be a Christian. See, some things are basic. We make it all, we like these convoluted arguments. You know, we like that. We like to think, well, I just don't think Christianity, baby, don't worry about it. If you mention Christianity, you've already called Christ a God. Because a human can't do what's been done to make us the most powerful religion in the planet. If we were to call ourselves a religion, which we're not, we're a, we are a redeemed civilization. We are redeemed citizens of God's eternal world. Redeemed citizens, not Christians. We're not a religion. God didn't call us Christians. He calls us sons and daughters. He calls us children and family. He didn't call us by the name of a religion. He called us by the name of a progenitor, of a father. See, these things need to be told to this generation. Your children need to listen to this because they're going to school and they're going out to play and to their friends' houses getting their heads beat in because they don't know what Christianity is and they don't know why it's an irritant to the world. Well, of course it's an irritant. It's the first faith. We're the first faith, and our faith did not begin on earth. We're the first faith. Every other faith is subsequent to us. That's why God made it subject. And then we decided to feel sorry for those people who were not like us, so we decided to become like them. I'm not doing it. I won't. You know, people have said a lot of things about me. She's arrogant. She's this and that. But you know what you're going to remember me for? Loving the man Christ Jesus and fighting for him and his cause. I will be remembered for Jesus Christ. I will never be remembered for a crossover. I will never be remembered for a sellout. I will never be remembered for a compromiser. Because when you have gone into God's realm and realized that he is Lord and that he is Lord to the glory and the will, the preference of God the Father, Nothing in this mortal realm ever speaks to you the same way again. I'm telling you, this, is this good stuff? Is this good stuff? The Lord just wanted to address you today. So if you're a prophet, you need to be speaking the Bible. If you're an apostle, you need to speak the word of God. And you need to know that because that's the only place that you will get the testimony of Jesus Christ. As he is, so are we in this world. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. Why? Because he was born of God. So he knew being born of God made him like God. Not just God-like, but God's offspring. A lot of the world, these, these pagan and, and uh, Olympian things, they're all about being God-like, playing God, God, not us. We are that. The same spirit that brought Jesus into the planet is the spirit that brings us into existence as the children of God. And it's a technological thing, not just a theological thing. The theology was to lead us to probe the technology, and we did not do as well in that as we could. 
we were supposed to probe the technology of our theology. So this should have been a, this whole message is genuinely a theo-technological process, not just experience. That's why people are experiencing Jesus Christ. I don't just experience him. I exemplify him because I am him and he is me. Jesus said, I and my father are one. Our job as Christians, as a church, is to say, we and our founder are one. We are one and the same. You know, Jesus said, if you have seen the father, then you've seen me. And if you've seen me, you've seen the father. That's our testimony. We have to get our testimony straight because we've been testifying to the failure of Christianity. We've been testifying to the, the uh, uncleanness of Christian ministers. We've been testifying to the carnality and the fleshiness of God's people. But we've not testified of its founder. We have reinvented Jesus for our failures. To cover our failures. So we reinvent him. But that garment, that new garment that he gave us, that came straight out of God's realm has been literally transformed into or mutated into a cloak for the sin that we want to commit. And so because many people don't know this verbally or intellectually, they cannot articulate the discomfort they feel with the church today. There's an inner discomfort. There's the, that, the uneasiness that they can't articulate. There is this, the, the despair of the soul and the frustration of the soul that you can't quite put your finger on. That is the new creation informing you that what is trying to be imposed on you is not of God. So you have an inner witness, but it's that verbal witness and that behavioral witness that makes the point, that demonstrates why we're different. We're not just different because we have a faith that is unlike anyone else. These people have already told you that these are all, those religions are nature religions, and we're not. We're the Godhead faith. We are actually not a religion because we're the children, the civilization of the Godhead. We were seeded into the planet to be its salt and its light and to make sure that those who belong to Jesus Christ are not lost to sin and death. We were seeded into the planet. You understand? We came. The Holy Ghost on Pentecost brought, the, brought us the offspring of the Godhead, the seed of Christ. Oh, I got to hit let me hit something. Again. Wait a minute. I got this thing over here. Hold it. Oh, there we go. I'm covered. Pentecost transported the seed, the eternal seed of Christ that was in him from the moment God created him to earth to find its human body. Oh, I got to do it again. Boom. Hey, you know that's good. That is good, good, good. You know it's good. See, that's the testimony of Jesus Christ. You're so busy trying to humanize him, you don't even realize that he has become divine and human. He had to come to earth 
to pick up this human side. Because he didn't start out that way. Jesus did not start out human. Mm. I got to give myself a clap. See, in order for your testimony and your witness of Jesus Christ to work, it has to start when he incarnated. For the prophet and the apostle, it has to start right when he said, let us make. See, the let us tells us Jesus did not begin his existence human. Oh, my God. I got to, oh, Jesus, help me, God. Oh, Lord, I got to fight talking in tongues. I want to go talking in tongues right now. I want to go. I'm fighting it. Did you hear me fighting it? I'm holding back. I'm restraining myself. Bless be God. This man, and see, that's, what, that's the first thing that belies our testimony. Jesus is like us. No, he isn't. He became the visual form of humanity. But his spirit never became human. Uh, I don't know what to do, Prophet Ashley. I'm getting, Jesus. I don't know about you all, but I'm about to go off out of here. Because you see, every it takes the apostles of God and the prophets of God to properly contextualize the testimony of Jesus Christ. He was not, Jesus was human in his soul. His soul was made human. He got his soul from his mother, Mary. But his spirit, he got from his father, which he always had. God just reformatted that spirit into a sperm so that it would join to an egg and that piece of God would be subject to the law of sin and death and mortality. That's why on the cross he says to John, listen, man, behold your mother. Woman, behold your son, because he's going back to his former life, his former state. And he's saying, my soul is no longer mortal. My soul is no longer doomed. My soul is no longer, oh, come on, somebody get this thing. Y'all ought to have a slap club. Let's all stop together. That's the superlativeness of the Christian Testimony. He gave his mother to John because his soul was about to be purged of the sin that God had just put on him. And when he returns home, he's not going home mortal. He's not going home corrupt. He's not going home feeble. He's not going home tore down. He's not going home weak. He's not going home fearful. He's going home as the glorified Christ who has just taken another species from Satan. I'm a citizen call. So you have to understand, when people have not been with Christ, they cannot give you the story of Christ, because he has to tell you the story. Consider, or better yet, recall in Luke's gospel, the two people on the road to Emmaus who think Jesus is a gardener. And then he, he lifts the veil of their eyes, 
and he manifests himself later on. But he lifts the veil off their eyes, better their mind, and begins to open it to comprehend the scriptures that talked about him. The testimony of Jesus Christ is about Jesus Christ. It's about Jesus, Yeshua HaMashiach. It's about Yahweh, Israel's covenant God. It is about the Almighty, who the burly God who told Abraham to leave his homeland. It's about the Lord God who created. It is about the Godhead who said, let us make man in our image and likeness. See, the story of that mountain, God, my God, the sugar pie Jesus. Now you know why I call him the sugar pie Jesus. You know, and, and, and we, we get to the point that people say, well, you know, I, I love the folks that say, well, you know, he really, his name, Jesus is his uh, Greek name. Yeah, right, because it's to the Jew first and then the Greek. It's Bible. Come on, somebody. So why would you call him whatever? So to, to the Jew, he's Jew, Jesus, or he's Yeshua, or Yeshua. But to the Greek, he's Jesus. And guess what? He's still God and Savior of the world. Because if we didn't get his Greek name, the Gentiles wouldn't be saved. And that would be us. So Paul took the Greek name to the Greeks. Peter kept the Jewish name with the Jews. Because at that time, the ruler of the world, the ruling nation of the world was the Greeks. If this was happening today, it would be an American name because we were world power. You know, we are that power. In the, so it would be, then he would be named after something. Wow, he's got body. You know, Robert, I don't know. Because he was named for the power that God was assigning to spread his son's life, credibility, and reputation throughout the world. I love this name. I love him so much, it just, some days it just hurts. I love him so much, some days I just stand and I, the tears just run down my eyes that he would have such a great love for us and that he would be so perfectly interested in our well-being, in our salvation, and that he's a good steward and guardian of our salvation. The next time somebody runs that, his name is Jesus, it said to the Jew first and the Greek, and Jesus is Greek, he's a Greek name. It said, for the gospel came to the Jew first and then the Greek. The Hellenists were waiting for him. They asked him. The Hellenists wanted him to preach the gospel to him. He just said, nope, not yet. I've got to preach it through the Holy Ghost. I can't preach it through my incarnation. There are a lot of things that Jesus could not refrain from doing in his incarnated state because they were delegated to a third person, the Godhead. Sugar pie Jesus. You know he's a honey man. Love this king. And so when people come to me, I'm like, well, why are we having this conversation? The fact that he came and said that his gospel was for the Jew and the Greek already said something very powerful. So he's Yahweh before he becomes Yeshua. Oh, hallelujah. And he's Christ before he becomes Jesus. And this is all in the Bible that you got under your bed, in your bottom drawer, that app that you got on the phone that you're one day going to open. And this is why you need teachers, because they focus your search, they focus and narrow your quest 
so that you can discover that which God has for you. Now, I gave you all that I have given you today in this first hour of the Paula Price Show has to do with what? The testimony of Jesus Christ, first given by And when I'm done, you're going to be glad to be a prophet. You're not going to be trying to do, have that office jumping, that upward mobility. We act like it's an upward mobility. But I've done enough time as a prophet, so I'll just go on and bump up to an apostle. You can't because people have to be apostles from their mother's womb. Paul said I was separated from my mother's womb to be an apostle. So you, you can't just, I decide I'm just going to bump up. We're going to change the definitions of apostleship anyway, because those definitions are inaccurate. You cannot say an apostle just plants churches. Your baby, how are you going to plant a church? You're a toddler. How are you going to plant a church? You're a young person. Paul was a young man, and yet God found, called him an apostle. How was that? Mm, hard reset. Really hard reset. Painfully hard reset. Aren't you going to enjoy it? I am. We're going to, re- we're going to change that. Because a lot of those people are apostolic prophets, and we're going, we, I already have the profile of it. Because I have an assessment that will tell you whether you're an apostle or an apostolic prophet. And then I define the two so that we can delineate where one ends and the other begins. And then yet justify the surface overlap that causes people to misjudge certain behaviors as apostolic or as the call to the apostle and not just the attributes that equip the prophet to complement the apostle. See, these are the hard reset. We have a hard reset. And I thank God. I've been at this thing a long time. You know, again, I often call myself like Solomon. I'm underground. I'm, you know, I'm hated. There's five people don't want to talk to you. This ain't God. She's this, she's that. And you know good and well, God want to mess with y'all because I'm black female. I don't look like anything anybody should have because this kind of knowledge should not come out of a a woman of color, should not come out of a woman, and definitely a woman of color. And then how dare I be an apostle? All of that, all of that was the shield that kept you and I apart until I was ready and you were ready. Now the veil is rent. The wall is disintegrated. And we are all jumping on the same side to defend this man's kingdom. Well, Prophet Ashley, did you want to come up to your seat? I got a seat for you. Right here. And that other one coming, she'll tow up things all last week like she was, come on, that regional prophet of mine. Come on, regional. My regionals. Did you want to? Did you did you take any notes? You didn't seem to take a lot of notes. And then there is the first page. <laughs> One has to look. Sometimes at I have to remember to take notes. Because you get all excited. I get, get all excited. Stuff. I want to sit down and listen to me myself. Okay, let's think about that revelation. Yeah. Another hour, please. Mm-mm. No, but you're not doing too well. Replay. Replay. Thank God for the recording features. Yeah, there's a lot of hashtag replays going out there. Was it? Oh, I love you all. I love you all. You know, and I thank you because I'll tell anybody, I'll tell the world, if it wasn't for your, your prayers and your faith, your belief in the true Jesus Christ, if it wasn't for all of that, 
I wouldn't be here because you pray my strength in the Lord. You know, Paul said, pray that I would, 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 with all boldness, speak the word of God. So because he knew that the word was coming against systems and it was coming against uh, institutions and mindsets and preferences, and he knew it was a pushback word, and he had to pray every day because we, the, the resistance would be so overwhelming that he'd have to say, guys, I really want to just soften this thing. I really want to mellow it out. I really want to still it. I want to bring it down. But the, the Almighty won't let me so pray that my body, my flesh, can push through and that my faith fails not. That's you all. I'm here because of the people who have said, this is God, and we're getting behind it, and we're covering it, and we're protecting it, and we're providing for you. And don't you ever think you haven't done anything awesome because I sit here every Tuesday and I stand where I am a broadcast on Sundays because of you. We are one. And I'm telling you, you're in my belly sometimes so much that I, I almost feel like I'm with you physically. I can understand when Paul felt like he was with you. You know, I'm with you. And so the arguments and the criticisms about whether or not this is too strong or whatever, you are the defenders as well as I. And your prayers are what keeps me in the word, on God, and on point. Don't stop praying for me. And don't stop standing for me and with me because, trust me, you are not insignificant in my world. I don't know about anybody else's world, but you are not insignificant in mine. Oh, you made it, huh? Made Did it. You? I, I made it. I had to, <laughs> I had to, say, I had to remember my notes page. <laughs> yeah, that made it. There's nothing funnier than listening to Prophet Adia listen to the show. <laughs> So I had I ran over to the other side briefly. <laughs> Can I hear her in her office when speaking in tongues? <laughs> yeah, she's like, oh, my goodness. Oh, what? Wow. <laughs> <laughs> this time is cracking up. Speaking in the Holy Ghost. Oh, gosh. <laughs> that is funny. She sounds probably speaking in the Holy Ghost. She was, Ghost. actually. She was. Well, what you got? What you got? What do you want to, where do you want to kick off on the conversational side, the debrief? Question. Question. No, no. I have a question. Okay. <laughs> yes, there's question. All right. I'll take a question. Give me a question. Well, you were talking about prophets making sure that they prophesy by the spirit of Christ mm-hmm. and not other spirits. Mm-hmm. So, so, is this how um, prophets will often fall into false prophecies and false prophetics? Because they actually don't know the spirit of Christ and don't realize they're not prophesying by the spirit of Christ? Well, absolutely. That is the major way. And I thank you for that question because I think we need to kind of work through this a little bit. Your prophet spirit, according to Nehemiah 930, 9.30 and also First uh, Corinthians 14, prophets are... Uh, defined and differentiated by a unique spirit, a spirit that is predisposed to divine communication. Now, I didn't say God communications. I said divine. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. so that's why when you're young, you have, you know, hunches, you have instincts, you have, uh, you know, feelings and things like that, but you yet don't have the word of the Lord. You know, the Bible says about Timothy in the book of Judges, excuse me, forgive me, about Samuel in the book of Judges that the word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to Samuel. 
So until God reveals his word to you, your prophetic spirit is open, shallow, and hollow, which means that you, your, your channel, you have to be careful who awakens your prophet spirit. Because whoever awakens your prophet spirit plug you into that God's channel. Which is why we talked about, and we talked about this when we were with Apostle Nona, mm-hmm. how prophetic types early in the game want the dark movies, the vampires, the mm-hmm. zombies, all mm-hmm. that kind of dark mm-hmm. spirituality. And you need it because the light hasn't been given to you. Now, I had said this before, but I think that it bears repeating. Balaam was a prophet. He was God's prophet, Jesus' prophet, because Jesus mentions him. And he never mentions him, mention him as an intrusion into the office because in Balaam's era, the office had not yet been established by the Almighty, just the function. So Balaam is everybody's prophet. He's a high prophet because his covenant with the spirit realm enables him to, de- to decree the nations that will win and the nations that will lose, the nations that will rise, the nations that will fall, the kings that will rule, and the kings that will be ruled. So that is phenomenal. But he's doing it in the name of the Almighty's spirituality and cast of the deity. He's not doing it as a faithful prophet or an advocate to any God. However, the fact that the angel of the Lord stepped in when he, wanted, when he was called to curse Israel by the king of Moab, it didn't say whatever else. It said the angel of the Lord asked him, where are you going? Mm-hmm. What are you about to do? <laughs> so when you read that in context, you realize that the prophetic institution did, as an institution, did not begin until Moses, and it was not established until Samuel. Now, we had Abel, who was what? Handling the small community of humans that Adam and Eve procreated. And you saw, you saw how long that lasted. And once Abel was killed, the prophetic, as far as God's concerned, God's word, God's representation was halted until set. And then they said, then men began to call on the name of the Lord. Hmm. That's very interesting, isn't it? Hmm. So we have a long gap, in, in, in which case we have the sons of God and, and all of that mixing up with the daughters of men. But spirituality is up for grabs. And every fallen angel is looking for their part of it. So God has Balaam handle what has been presumably vacant since Abel. So Balaam, now he's doing it for God, but God has not revealed himself. Because God reveals himself to people in stages. We think because we get the first word, we got it. No, you don't. You got his first word. You are not totally... uh, Familiarize, familiarize with God until God starts breaking the seal on his word, his world to you. Because all you got is his word. So, and Jesus said that. He said, you know, no one knows the Father except the Son, and no one knows the Son except the Father and him to whom the Son wills to reveal him. So Jesus, again, that testimony of Jesus, it is Jesus Christ, whom y'all don't like, who reveals the true God. 
So let's take up that step, and we're going to go back to Balaam, because Balaam has been, I mean, the institution Balaam set up was like the Nicolaitans. It was like, you know, the, the, the uh, what do you call it, Father, the, uh, you know, the days of Noah. So Balaam sets up fertility. That's why y'all got sexual prophets, because Balaam's prophetic line is all about the fertility deities. It is about bloodletting. It is about nature worship. It is about flesh worship, and it is about slaughter and sacrifice. See, that's Balaam's institution. So you got these prophets sleeping around. You know if they're sleeping around, they're Balaam prophets. That's a, I mean, it's a major marker. You talk about, well, no, I mean, we got boyfriends and girlfriends. No, those are Balaam prophets. They cannot speak from God unless God needs them to do so, and he doesn't need them because he already has an institution founded by Moses and perfected by his son to deliver the words of testimony from his mouth. So Balaam, that's what divination is. Divination is, literally, when you think of divination, the, the beginning of the word is divine. Divination is divine communication by or for or through any god in the vicinity. So Balaam had seven gods that he petitioned. He had to, he never knew who was going to speak. He didn't know what God was going to talk. He didn't know what God was going to be right or wrong. He didn't even know what God had the curse that he was paid to put on Israel ready for his mouth. He wouldn't know that until he did the seven-altar ritual and went to sleep. He had to go to sleep because his deities met him in his dreams, in his sleep. That was the, how the institution worked. So when Micah said that there will be night without vision, those people in that day knew what that meant. Because prophets, like, you want to say prophets go crazy, let them stop dreaming and, and, and God stop talking. Oh, my gosh, they're going to walk around. They look like they lost their best friend because they did. So Balaam, just answering your question now, just to wrap it up, Balaam had never heard the voice of the Almighty which tells me, based on how the incident begins, he only prophesied by angels. Because it was the angel of the Lord that spoke to him and stopped him. And if he had never seen the visions of the Almighty, which he confesses, and he had never had the, the word of God or the, his eyes open to the true God's realm, which means he just saw spiritually and he just saw supernaturally, but he had never saw, seen Supernally, the supreme God. That supreme realm, he was not given. His brain wasn't open for that. So the institution he set up was all by fallen angels. Well, he said it, didn't he say it? It's in number 23 and 24. I love number 22 through 24. Study it. If you're a training prophet, study it. And so Balaam doesn't realize until his second round alters oxen and sacrifices, he doesn't realize that he has never, ever prophesied knowingly from the Almighty. He's always prophesied through God's angels, if God wanted Balaam to say anything. Because if you look at it, he does the first one that says, and then it says the, the Lord comes and puts a word in his mouth. He still doesn't recognize that it's not one of those sins. He does it again. 
and the Lord puts murder in his mouth. And so he's under the control of the angel that is assigned to protect Israel hmm. and to see to it that God's venture is fulfilled and not frustrated. So finally, the last time, guess what he does? That's why you know pagan prophets and us are different. Because the last time, this is what Balaam does. You know, I'm bringing my thing. Yeah, don't, stuck don't, let us, don't let us hold you back. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I can get on my <laughs> Yeah. But what does he do? He forgoes the altars. He forgoes nature. He forgoes nature worship. He forgoes nature rituals, and he just goes to sleep. Because mm. he found out that the God that... I'm talking to the real thing. Now, now, that, now the word of God comes to him. And he says, thus says Balaam, whose eyes are open. His prophet spirit was open, but his eyes were not. His prophetic sight was not open. I, I, you should. You should. Y'all my food. Hmm. He says again, thus says Balaam, who sees the visions of the Almighty. And he realized out of all seven of those gods, not one was the Almighty. It's at that point that for the first time in Balaam's career, he prophesied truth from the Almighty's realm. See, this is why you need prophetic education. This is why you do, should not allow people to force you to prophesy until you're sure your prophet spirit is open. Because it's at that time, God put a word in Balaam's mouth on that issue three times, which means God put his word in him three times. And when he did, that overripe prophet spirit could run for it. I see him, but not now. Wow. Woo! He never realized he saw Jesus. God, I got this. Mm. I don't know if I can stay here. I'm going to have to leave. Well, when I said that, no. <laughs> no, we're not going anywhere. We're not going anywhere. Hold on. So bringing that forward, God mentions Balaam. Jesus mentions Balaam even down to the revelation. Balaam's false prophetic at the, the uh, early parts of civilization have haunted and harassed God's people and prophets all the way down. And then Balaam gets a counterpart called Jezebel. Oh, wow. So Balaam is the prophet of dominion for the fallen world. But Jezebel is the prophet of business and enterprise for the fallen world, which is why business is taking off. When Christian businesses start putting truly powerful prophets in seats, in their buildings, in their affairs, they're going to stop losing their businesses, and they're going to stop going broke, and they're going to stop being second and third class. These people are not doing this simply because they're smart. They're doing it because they have divine communicants and spiritual ministrants that are seeing to it that you, Christians, and righteousness will not oppose them. 
See, you all did this with intercessors, and intercessors don't sit in that place. Ah. I'm going to say that. Ah. I'm going to do that as a judge. Ah. <laughs> intercessors don't have that access. They don't have that authority. I just showed you from the, uh, from the, the Bible, from the account of Balaam, that it was a prophet mm. that was able to turn a nation's fortune. It was a prophet that was able to pick up one nation and put a nation down. You can put pastors up there all day long. They will be sweet. They will pray for you. They will make you feel good. But they don't have that kind of power and God, and they don't sit at that high. Just because we're all in heavenly places doesn't mean it's only one level. Yeah. Well, that's me. So Moab knew it. Moab knew that, oh, I'm, I'm yeah. lost, guys. I'm, yeah. I'm somewhere. I don't know where I am. Help me, God. I told him. Okay. But I'm, oh, Lord. See, that's why Christian businesses are not rising, because you're running with the scriber and not the authority, hmm. the authorizer, because they don't have the power to face off with what's resisting you. Prophets have always faced off with principalities and powers and et cetera, et cetera. Apostles always have. I told, I was sitting with a, uh, a friend of mine recently, and I said, I'm going to tell you right now, you need a prophetic guard in your business because there's a very, very, very large promising enterprise. I said, you need a prophetic guard. Some of you all want a prophet to pass on through. You might Ooh. need to give them a suite of offices so they can be your guard. So they can fake the you, you don't even know that these intercessors don't know if they rightly or wrongly identify the power. Just because you see a spirit doesn't mean that's the strong man. Okay. We're breaking for <laughs> breaking for notes. See, I'm telling you, and yet you'll sit there and you'll go and you'll, you'll go and, and pit these prophets. You'll go and get a word and go back and get mad because they didn't come to pass. You'll go and give them your spare change while you go and give your big money to ministers that don't have that seed in Christ. They don't, God, God doesn't move like that because God's a God of order. He has departments. And not everybody is in the divine communications department. And even in that department, not everybody sits high enough to decree what should and should not be, what will and will not be. That, has, that goes all the way back in history. But then that's part of you being educated prophetically. So you go there and you go to this person who just happened to got plop a little word in their mouth and you think that they can handle the, the scope and range of spiritual dominance you need to have to push back on your competitors. See, that's where we're stuck because we keep doing church and it's not time to do church. It's time to do kingdom. And kingdom is not sitting there and operating as if you're a freelancer. Kingdom brings the weight of the institution to bear on your adversaries. I don't know where that came from, but anyway, I was studying Holder and and looking at Mm. that and, and talking about how um, um, evangelically, it was so misinterpreted. When I read the whole thing, I realized that this woman's job was to see to it that the powers, the sitting powers of the nation were on God's side, mm-hmm. and she was very instrumental in deciding who would and would not be in power. So you need to understand the prophetic before you go racing out just getting the prophet. But well, Dr. Prophet said everybody needs a prophet, and I didn't. I said everybody needs the institution. Oh, yeah. Because it's very different. And everybody needs a prophetic guard, not a bank guard, not a security officer. You need someone with sway in God's kingdom. And only God can tell you where he put his muscle. 
Because if you want to muscle in, you're going to have to tap into Jesus' muscle. And a lot of this stuff, most of you all won't do it because you know what you'll say? You'll say we're too hard. You'll say we're arrogant. You'll say we're forceful. You'll say we're this, we're that, and all of that. And, and you, could you say, hey, that's just you. But I'm telling you that your, your reputation of what we say cannot be proven. But my declaration of what we say can be. And when, you want to, when you're trying to go to war, you are not trying to go to war with the pacifist. But when you want to go to war, you want to go to war with muscle. And the prophets and apostles have always been God's muscle throughout Scripture. Always. Anyway, I'm done. Are oh, you still writing? Yes. You like these weekly classes, okay. don't you? Thank you. <laughs> we all thank you. Okay. Anything else? Did I answer your question? Yes. Okay. Is there anything else you'd like? Oh, just one question. When you said that the spirit that God gave us is predisposed to protecting him and his interests, mm -hmm. I think that's a very interesting way to also tell who really has the spirit of God in them. That's true. Um, when you were at some point referencing ministers and, and even what they preach, when you have a minister who is not protecting God's interests, that's a sure sign. That's a sign. And we, we are taught that if things are moving, if things are happening, then God must be approving. Mm -hmm. We really do. We really are taught that. And so people get confused when they see somebody who is not out for God's best interest, but still out there in his name. Mm -hmm. yeah. Ultimately falling, destroying the church, destroying the works, as we've seen even now, committing suicide. All these things, there's all of that confusion going on because we really are not taught this the right way. No, no. And, and, and as a result, much of the teachings that you have had that brought us to this point left you defenseless, or rather undefended. So you were undefended. You were defenseless. You could not defend yourself even enough to make a good decision to shift your family or to, you know, change your relationships or to cut off a relationship at all. One of the things that we have to recognize is that I just said God's muscle is in his, and I'm talking about kingdom muscle, Jesus' royal muscle, mu muscle, kingship muscle in his apostles and prophets. They existed before there was a church. Because people ask, I don't know how you can say, because apostles and prophets existed before there was a church. So the church cannot do what the kingdom is called to do. Because the church is Johnny come lately. You're last. Now, the church, and I'm not just talking about the church uh, physical. I'm also talking about the congregation in that church. You are in your home. You're safe. The church is your home. It's your safe mm -hmm. haven. It has no power and really uh, does not care about what's going on you know, royally with Christ until there's a crisis. Mm. So then they want to know. But by that time, the church has taught against apostles and prophets. The church has made you fear us. The church has made you dread us, hate us, contend with us, have contempt for us, because the church did not exist. So it can't really have the answers or the templates huh. for protecting a nation. It can't do it because the, pa the pastors are 
obligated, duty-bound to take care of their sheep, not the citizens. Mm. The apostles mm. and prophets are going to deal with citizenship. They're going to deal with citizenship because they did not have an ecclesia to deal with. Everything about them and all of the models they have, every template is about a nation, about citizenship, about civilization. It is not about congregation. Now, that is part of it. And certainly we don't disparage that at all. We need it. We need you in churches, and we need local churches, and we need pastors. A lot of these pastors are wiped out because they don't have the guardianship of God's muscle. Because they're contending with their public. That's how you see it. Because the, the, the church is democratic. And anytime you have a bunch of different populations, you will try to have some sort of striving toward democracy because you want to give people rule. Because the, the only reason you want to give people rule is because you don't know how to rule as their protector and defender in righteousness. So the church is democratic. We want because we want the people to move. Congregational churches, congregation rule. Because as far as you're concerned, every man should do what's right in his own eyes. Every woman should run her church as, as she sees fit. That's not kingdom. The kingdom has one single focal point, and we're all forced into this arrowhead. So when it comes to protecting God's interests. Churches can't think about God's interest anymore beyond thinking about the sheep that they are entrusted with and how to get them into eternity by, by way of God's highway of righteousness. Hallelujah. Can we get folk on the highway of righteousness? So that's important when you, when you put it together. But the apostles and prophets, that's why our consciousness, it, 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 kind of, it can't roll with the local church. Mm-hmm. So we have to find a more excellent way to, to shield the church because I've always said you can have a kingdom without churches all day long, but you cannot have churches without a kingdom because the church needs some sort of political, secular alternative or counterpart to their spiritual existence and spherical existence. See, that's important. I don't know if that helped you, but... Did you want to say something? She didn't come back. Uh-huh. She, she said she was numbing her face. <laughs> so, you know, we to, she does, too. She mm-hmm. does. She got numbers up there. She got them. Okay. We'll pick some page four. In the box or outside <laughs> the box? Notes. Yours might be on the round this page, too. Okay. So you <laughs> talked about how there's a frustration of the soul uh, that you can't uh, put your finger on in the church today. That uneasiness is to let you know what's being imposed on you is not of God. Um, what, what do you, I, I, I guess I, I want you to talk more on that. I, I, I don't have the question formulated, but just where to go with that? Like, what, what are we doing? How do we come out of this? Because I think that you're hitting on something that is, uh, extremely important is to, because you know, we always look at people fleeing the church, mm-hmm. um, you know, as, uh, as people don't want structure or they don't want God to do anything, mm-hmm. so you don't think about it as, I don't, I don't know how to connect with what's being presented yeah. to me. So I just mm-hmm. wanted you to elaborate on that. Well, two things. The first thing, I like the, the statement that you made about people fleeing the church. What many folks don't know is that not all of them are choosing to sit home. Many people are f- fleeing the church to go back to denominations because the denominations make sense to them, because there is an alternative to, to abuse or oversight or neglect. They feel like there's a process 
by which they can appeal injustices that you don't get in a non-denominational church. Unless that church is is, um, properly organized, you pretty much have to live with the whims of those in power and the deceits and sometimes the the, um, misconstruals. And so you you have to deal with uh, uh, family bias, you know, cronyism. You have to deal with that in the charismatic church or the loose church because they consider that all of the power in the person. Now, I personally, I definitely run my organization, but I have what I like to call leadership. I don't, and I have an apostleship collaborative, not an apostolic one for these very reasons. And, uh, you know, I want people to feel like they have an alternative, but I also want them to have, be able to tap into the most compatible leader for their experience, for their time with us. So that's the first thing I will say. Many people are Christians and going back to those denominational churches that we told them were bad. Mm-hmm. And now, you know, 20, 30 years down the line, 40 years down the line, we are, they are still like undeveloped. They feel like they don't have a fighting chance. They feel as if their gifts are never going to be recognized. Well, that was the same problem they had in the denominations, but at least there was a, a body. You could appeal to the bishop. Yeah, right. You know, you could appeal to the synod or the council or whatever we called them. Um, you could do that, and maybe, maybe it was good, maybe not. You could also move to another pastor who was still in the denomination. You didn't have to break rank with all that you did like. Right. So uh, yeah. that's where we are right now. You know, so if you don't like this Methodist church, they got millions. Come on, you got a bunch of them for you. You know, you don't like this this particular Baptist pastor's way of doing things. Fine. And and what I really like, you know, because a lot of apostles and prophets bash them. I don't. I happen to Jesus told me that he, he I like these denominations. I asked him about it one day, and the Holy Ghost said to me, because of their singularity, because of their oneness. When I get ready to move. He said, they move as one. Yeah. He said, it's so many of you all, I have to bounce around to everybody to bring you. He said, it takes too long to get anything happening. Huh. So, oh, now that doesn't make them right or wrong, because right now I'm praying for the denominations that they stop selling out and that their faith fail not, that they stay with Christ and trust that this thing that has been washing them out and intimidating them is just a phase. I'm praying for them because Jesus needs all he can get his hands on. Now, just because we don't all do the same thing in our respective houses does not mean that we are not all human. We don't all have families, et cetera. Now, as far as the other part of the question that I think is important, and that is the Bible says to you that we don't need anyone to teach us that we have an unction, the Holy Spirit. Now, that has been misconstrued, misrepresented, mistaught, just missed. And, but you do have the inward witness of the Holy Ghost. And the Holy Spirit will tell you what is or is not of him. It doesn't make a difference how slight or minuscule your Bible knowledge is. God got you saved with no Bible knowledge. Right. How about that? Right. So I'm clear that he can get you to a point that you would acknowledge it. The issue that you're facing, what is prohibiting your ability to resolve this is the teaching. You don't put your mouth against the man of God. Mm -hmm. You don't touch the set man. It's not right for you to do all of that. But if they are not doing what God says should be done, they're not your set man. They're not God's set man. Okay? They're something else. They're humanity's set man. They're the human set man. They're the demonic set man. But if they are living like the devil, then they're his set man or his set woman. 
And you don't need a, a, a divine sign to tell you that you are in a place of unrighteousness and ungodliness. But you have to read your word. See, you have got to read your Bible. Now, you may not want to read it. I'm busy. I don't know how. Put that thing on in your car. Put it on in your house and just let it play, 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 play. It doesn't make a difference how distracted you may be while it's playing. Your spirit is smart. You know, if your spirit is like a sponge, it's going to pick up Jesus. It's going to pick up the word of God. It's going to do it. The mind is going to flick it away. So you play it so that when it's time for your inward witness to communicate something to you, you won't resist it and it won't sound fine. And you won't find, feel uncomfortable about doing something that is ordinarily distasteful. So in my last answer, I want you to hear me, lean in on this. You're going to have to be willing to break ties. Do not let loyalty buy you a ticket to hell. That's the money statement of the day. Excuse me, I'm writing. Folks, excuse us. (laughs) Student mode is kicking in. Did you have anything else you thought about?
criticize you, condemn you for having a problem with how I smell or how I look. Why do we have a generation of people walking around in tattered jeans? Because they are tattered souls. See, because your outward appearance does speak to the state and condition of your soul. You know, God says there is an attire of a, of a harlot. God says there's an attire of a vagabond. And see, this vagabond spirit is what the fashion industry is literally materializing for you. Because, because your souls are vagabonds. There is no disconnected to any spirit. Because of the whole Buddhist thing, you got too many to choose anyhow. And you can't figure out all the ones that are out there. Because of the whole Eastern religion thing. And see, those guys are rejected by God. So their rejection shows up in your attire and your beliefs and your behavior because they are rejected by their maker. So when you look at where is that? When you look at the fact that you want to exemplify what you try to do now is you're modeling your inability to conform to Christ. And you're giving examples to people who are just like you who can't cut it. See, Jesus Christ is the quintessential archetype and prototype of what God, the creator, brought into existence and chose to make civilization. And because it requires an inward surrender, an inward faith, an inward belief, a soul acceptance that will force your body to deal with its appetites, its disgruntledness, its frustration, its anger, because it requires all of those things that keep you uncomfortable in the flesh if you do God's righteousness, you'll just change the rules. We'll just rewrite the rules. I mean, that's what we've been doing. I mean, come on, our country just been rewriting the laws. The founding fathers said that we did that, da, 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 which was reflective of Jesus Christ. So we just rewrite them. And then once you rewrite them, then you reconstruct your world to accommodate what you could not do. And so we think because we do that on earth that God said, oh, poor baby, you only human. God doesn't say that. That's why he gave you the Holy Ghost and the new spirit to stop you from being a frail human and to give you the power and the virtue to be as he is in this world. God will not look at your little tattered clothes and see you your, and see liberty. He will not. He will look at your tattered clothes and say, that's a tattered soul. He will not look at your piercings and say, oh, I'm free in Jesus. He looks at your piercings and says, sold out to another God. God doesn't look at your tattoos and say, hey, I'm adorning the word of God on my arm. He looks at your tattoos and says, yeah, but you are writing on your flesh what you will not allow to be etched in your ah! spirit, engraved in your heart. So you are letting your outer man do the work of your inner man. So all of these things that you say is about your, your well, you know, Dr. Price, that's how you see it. But the only reason you don't see it is because you don't read your Bible. Yeah. You, the reason you don't see God's issue with your stuff is because you don't see God. Yeah. You, can't, you can't see God. 
God. And you can only see God with his word. The thing said, Jesus will reveal the Father to you as he sees fit. He's not going to bring you scarred up, beat up, tattered up, and whatnot into his Father's presence if that's not how God saved you. Wow. He's going to look at you and say, you are apostate. You have fallen away from Christ. You are bewitched. You have left your first love. But you won't know any of those things, which is why you have no compunction, which is why you don't feel guilt, because you've not read what God thinks about it. You've read magazines. You've listened to fallen preachers. You've listened to doctrines of devils. You've listened to seducing spirits. And all of them are okaying you reinventing yourself for your failure in Christ. Pray for me. Pray for me. That's why you're doing it. Because the same, literally, what you are doing to your outer man, your outer person, is what you are doing to your God who inhabits you. You have thrown him into another God's temple, and you've allowed another God to enter here by way of your following culture and trends. Because we are holy habitation for the Holy Ghost. And the Bible says that we are the temple of the living God. And if anybody destroys that temple, God will destroy him. So I don't care what your pastor says and apostles going to tell you because, see, we're not congregational. Yeah. All right. Mm. Hallelujah. This is it. We're about your nationality, which is in Jesus Christ. Mm. See, because we're about the nation of Jesus Christ. But we are a holy nation. So the apostles dealing with your nationality. Mm. Not your culture Jesus. and not your congregation and not your spiritual leader. So you don't read your Bible. So when people who are who are all tatted up talk to me like that, I'm like, well, you kidding? You don't even know God. You may quote the scriptures, but that's only because the scriptures are in your mind. They're not in your soul because your scriptures are not controlling your decisions. Culture is. Mm. Well, it's not. So your scripture knowledge means nothing to God because it's not controlling your situation. Your scriptures have become a battering ram against the holiness and the righteousness of God. So you use the scriptures to batter God's righteousness and to batter his holiness and to condemn his people to doom because of other deities that you have okayed to be on their body and in their flesh. See, that's a pastor. That's a culture craft of church. That is not the offering mantles of scripture. Because you're offering mantles of scripture, no, Acts 26, 18 is God's objective for his apostles to open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God that, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who are sanctified by faith that is in me. See, Acts 26, 18 condemns all of these cultures because they condemn them as satanic. So I don't care about how big your little pastor is who looks like he's the cutest thing since God. I don't care how big your little pastor is who looks like they are whatever. I don't care about how cute your little evangelist is as she switches her behind and it starts closing. Closing, the Bible says, Acts 26, which is why they want to get out the Bible. Acts 26, 18 says it's all satanic, and they're blind to Satan's devices. Is there a plate that we could pass? This if we could pass this yeah, send me a seat. I need one. Yeah. I need a seat. I need some big things because I got some big vision to get this around. I got to buy some air time. 
and y'all want me on TV, so send me some airtime feed, drpaulaaprice.com. And what's the text to give? Because there is one. I'm sure by now half of them put it up there anyway. Um, yeah, I know she can't even 918 is the text again. 918-608-1378. Uh, Papa Dash Dr. Price's cash app on there. This is just a moment we're just going to pass that plate because um, that's, that's what we have right now. Her cash app is Dr. Paula Price, Dr. Paula Price. Mm-hmm. It is Dr. Paula Price. Mm-hmm. That's the Ooh. cash app. So Ooh. listen, why? Because the reason that I'm telling you all of this, and, and I'm saying, Steve, because when you come against Satan, the first thing he dries up is is your money. So you are the reason why my money won't be dried up, and therefore I can go do it. Plus, I have opportunity to be on global TV shows and global TV programs. I have invitations. I have opportunities. I have one that I just did with the um, Majesty Channel where that's going to be airing shortly, and it's going to be airing on the Impact Network where I'm finally getting this out to a global audience, a global viewership. But in order for me to continue doing this, hey, family, I need you. Now, I'm going to keep telling the truth, but you decide how far and wide that truth goes. Did I help you? Um, but let me really, when you look at Acts 26, 18, it tells you that God said to Paul on the road, we don't ever read this part, but he said to Paul in Acts 26, 16, mm-hmm. he said to Paul when he blinded him on the road of Damascus and all Paul could see was Jesus. I think that's so, so interesting. Don't you think that he couldn't see anything else but Jesus? I think that's what he wants for apostles, that we see nothing else but Jesus. And he said, I have appeared to you for this purpose. Had your your pastor read the Bible that never sanctioned your knowing the depths of Satan or manifesting and modeling his culture? That's Bible. Now, I'm, I'm, and, we, and you can say all day long, but that's religious. But my, my Bible said we were saved by the incorruptible word of the living God. So how is it that that word is powerful enough and truthful enough to save us and not powerful and truthful enough to establish what sanctifies us? Mm. So you can't, pick, you can't have it both ways. Either it's the scripture, it's written in print or not. Well, the Bible's written by man, social paycheck. Social insurance policy, Hello. they send it to you in the mail. How about your, your credit card, written by man? Everything in the physical realm has got to be applied to a physical subject or surface for it to be seen. So we, well, but how do you know they were righteous? How, well, we surely know that you all are because this whole culture, hallelujah, the, the stats are against it. The statistics are against it. What they didn't expect, because I started on this subject, they didn't expect. Mm-hmm. You expected the pastors to be taken out. But apostles and prophets, we don't go like that. We're not going quietly in the night. We're going to stand on the sanctification of Jesus Christ. Christ. Paul said, if anybody preach a gospel other than the gospel I preach to you, let them be a curse. Why are these preachers cursed? Why are these churches cursed? Why are these sheep cursed? Because you are fed another gospel. You get one more, and then she goes, Ooh. come back, get your stuff right, get ready. Uh, your day is coming. Um, I just believe, well, okay. So, yeah. I mean, so, I, I don't know. I guess I could sum up what you just said, because that's so important. We need to go back and replay that. 
essentially right. scripture must be both a saving and a sculpting agent. Mm-hmm. You're saying that mm-hmm. you can't, it, it has to be powerful enough to save you and shape you. Right. I love that you talked about the fact that you, you know, it, it doesn't matter if you have the knowledge, if mm-hmm. that knowledge isn't dictating your life. What, what you know, so I thought that was everything. Yeah. I mean, that was fire today. We need to we need to go back. We need to listen to this again. Mm. That's important. I think that we are intoxicated by someone's knowledge. So in other words, when we see someone and we know that they're living by mm-hmm. culture, but we're intoxicated by that they know so much. It's mm-hmm. that they know so much about Christ. So then we, we we make this connection and we say, Well, they know so much, so they must be doing right by mm-hmm. God and not but that that you're hitting that. But they are, yeah, and you know what's so interesting? They are sharing Christ while they're smoking cigarettes and cigars and sucking on pipes. Hold on. Yes. They're sharing Christ while they're sitting down, sipping and whatever in the lounge. Well, you know, we got to go into the bars to, to, to win the loss. Yeah, but that doesn't mean you have to become an alcoholic. You can go in a bar and drink some water unless you are a recovering alcoholic and you probably shouldn't be anywhere near bars. But this whole idea, because this is the pastor's idea of soul winning, get you in church. God is interested in soul sanctification because a lot of people go to the altar and still will go to hell because they cannot endure to the end. So soul sanctification is what enables you to endure to the end. Because God is the end of all things, not just the beginning of all things. He said, I am the alpha and omega, the beginning and the ending, the first and the last. Are you hearing what I'm saying? So starting out with God is no big deal for them. The angels may celebrate because you get saved, but trust me, they're not celebrating because you went to the altar. Those angels are celebrating when you finish because they have a a whole lifetime to see to it that what you vowed at that altar is what you will bring to eternity. There was a question about sewing through PayPal as well, and hers is um, paypal.me slash Dr. Paula Price as well, Dr. Paula Price. We like consistency. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, we Dr. Do. Paula Price everywhere. Everywhere. <laughs> everywhere. Except Facebook, I'm apostle. Well, yes. You know. Because, well, it works. You are apostle. But I do. I'm telling you, if I have some great opportunities on the table, even as we speak, but you determine whether or not I stay in this here little corner or whether I go to the next place and get this to all nations, regardless of their devices, regardless of whatever their media device is, I want to be there. And I need to be there. And I think about things like this. And when I, you know, I have a lot of manuals and whatnot that I've written that's where I've butchered a lot of this. Um, But I think about this, and and I say to God, boy, I could have used this in 1982 when I was trying to figure it out. (laughs) You know, I could have used somebody to be able to turn on my television and not hear the Lord just loves you so much that he just has lost his mind. You know, that restless thing. He lost his mind. Jesus don't know. Where's Jesus looking for his mind? Looking for his mind. Okay? He loves you so much that he just will drop all of his rules, and he will lower all the bar for you. God doesn't lower the bar for baby Christians. He just has a bar for baby Christians. Like a child, when your child is little, you don't bring the doorframe down to their littleness. You just mark where they are are and mark where they grow. So this whole idea that God just drops the bar for everybody, that's crazy. He doesn't. He can't because he's got people in hell that he wouldn't drop the bar for. So guess what? He would be considered unjust because just, just because you don't see who's in hell and hell, 
then God can, don't assume that hell doesn't criticize him because it does. Father Abraham, I'm dying in these flames. Hell's invisible to us. It's not invisible to God's world. They walk down the road and they all of them say, oh, ooh, don't go there. That's the hell road. Don't go. Because you have to recognize God, we are, the Bible says, we are the last of his, Jesus is the last Adam. So he, is, he created the last species God's going to create. And that last species is the ultimate, consummate vision that God had for distributing himself throughout his creaturehood. Before us, God had a hell. And somebody needs to hear this. God had a hell. And he, his hell was populated already with the same government and the same laws of justice and righteousness, holiness that we, are, we have. He cannot let us slip through. The blood of Jesus is not the blood of contamination. The blood of Jesus is full, replete with the codes of righteousness, wow. complete with the codes of holiness. That's why it sanctifies. The blood of Jesus is not an exemption from God's holiness. And you need to stop thinking that because we are human and we had Jesus, that, that all of them had Jesus. Trust me, the, the, the Christ was fighting Satan. He was fighting that dragon in heaven. So all of God's species have had, have had Jesus, maybe by different names. You know, he got so many names now. Come on here. We're trying to keep up with him. You know, we got whole walls with all of his names on it, and it's filled. But don't buy the lie that earth is somehow or another the um, – the, the ideal that God wants to the point that God will allow us to contaminate his world, to contaminate his citizenry, that's happened once. He's not doing it again, folks. I know it might sound like he should, but Brahma can forgive you because he's already fallen. He's gone. He's lost. Buddha can forgive you because he's lost. God does not love you first. He loves Jesus first. Mm. That's how he loves you. He loves you through Jesus Christ because we're still doing stuff to kick him off. <laughs> Jesus is trying to help us. We try. You know, them lies that just slip out. Why did I even say that? I don't even know. What was that? That's not true. You know, errors that you can't stop, angers, outbursts of wrath that you can't fix. You know, so he's loving us through Jesus because Jesus brought to the Father the perfect model and brand of eternal citizenship. Mm. The nationality of the Father is perfected in Jesus Christ. We mm. are in him being perfected. Amen? Well, we're running out of time. Did you want to say, mm. any one of you all want to say any last thing, advertisements? You know, you mm. I know. Come on, baby. Can you give us a verse? <laughs> She's working on it. <laughs> uh, okay. So, <laughs> oh, <laughs> you got to visit us at drpaulaaprice.com. You've got to visit that events tab and get yourself registered for the Apostleship Summit that's coming up November 14th. You've got to experience this power live. If you've never come out to an event in Tulsa, i just got to tell you, you've got to come. You've got to come. you got to see Dr. Price in person. These sessions this November are going to be powerful, and you don't want to miss out on that. So I, I want to make sure that we give you that invitation. Visit us online, drpaulaaprice.com. Click events, and make sure that you buy your tickets to be here with Dr. Price 
in November and all of her special guests. November 14th is when we kick off our annual Apostleship Summit, and you can get all the information now online. Buy one, get one is now through the 25th of September, so you can still do buy one, get one, and we really encourage you to take advantage of this. And outside of that as well, you got to sow that seed. So, again, her cash app is it's the dollar sign. Of course, you guys know for cash app, Dr. Paula Price. You can sow paypal.me slash Dr. Paula Price. Or you can also um, sow via text to give, 918-608-1378. need to make sure before we close this broadcast that you sow that seed today. It's really important. And I want to tell you something special about this year's summit. I am commissioning my very first yeah. apostle. Now, if you want to see an unusual commissioning ceremony, uh-huh. you definitely want to press your way because it is going to be special. It is something that uh, is not popular and not common. I don't commission by somebody running and slinging oil on you and slapping a sword on your shoulder. We have a full-fledged transition from, uh, from candidate to commissioned apostle, and it is a process. You don't want to miss it. It's astounding. Our Dignitaries Dinner has a very special guest this year that I'm excited about, and it is Dr. Uh, Reginald, right? Yes, Ms. Dr. Reginald Nichols, who um, is from Warner Pacific College in Portland, Oregon. And I'm telling you, I've been talking with him and chatting with him. You don't want to miss that. That is a powerful thing. So we've got great stuff planned. We, um, In addition to the commissioning of the apostles, their replacements are also going to be inducted. You will appreciate how they transition and pass their candidacy on to the next class, AIT class. Hallelujah. So we have a lot going on. Make sure you join us here in November. And thank you in advance for your seed. I release a harvest on your seed. I release jobs. I release family. I release breakthrough. I release children coming home. Somebody has a daughter that won't come home. I bring that girl home to you today in the Holy Ghost. And someone else, I want to talk about every son that's trying to be jumped into a gang. I shut their authority in that kid's life. I take the threat of death off the table in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, and I give them free will to deny to be a part of those gangs in the name of Jesus Christ. We bring your marriages together if it is the will of God, but we also give you the power to be a potent Christian of the line of Judah as well as the Lamb of God. Sunday. It's organic, cultural modified Christianity at the Congregation of the Mighty. If you're in Tulsa, go online and find out how to join me live. You're going to love it. God bless you. See you Sunday. Uh-huh.